how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 458, where I sat down with screenwriters Kate Holland and Marlo Mitchell to talk about their screenplay for Offsiders, which recently won the ISA Fellowship. If you're unfamiliar with ISA, that stands for the International Screenwriters Association. Their job is to champion screenwriters to agents, managers, and producers seeking talent and provides essential resources to elevate writers' crafts and careers. This is part of a two-part ISA collaboration I'm doing. You can also listen to my previous episode for more on that. In this episode, we talk about the screenplay for Offsiders, which actually is a trans story, not unlike the 2006 comedy She's the Man. We talk about their writing partnership, how they met online during COVID, the logistics of working online, marketing complex ideas such as this one, and winning the ISA Fellowship, what that meant for them, and next steps in terms of building their careers. I had come from a theater background originally, and then, because that is so very lucrative, had done a bunch of other stuff to, to make money. Um, writing was always something I did on the side for my own delight and enjoyment. And I kind of would always have these stories playing in my head anyway. Like I'd start to imagine a scenario or a world or a this or a that. Um, sometimes just mentally writing episodes of a favorite TV show that, that I was super into at the time. And then sometimes um, things that were completely original. And uh some of the first writing partnerships I had were more around theatrical stuff. So I co-wrote a play with Caroline Poo, who's a playwright um, about this family of daughters, all with the same father, but three different mothers and how they come together uh, to divide an inheritance after this kind of remote father figure dies. Uh, that was called No Providence. And then I worked with Susan Warby, um, who's a historian and playwright, um, on um, a couple of different projects centering women's writings from World War One. Um, I'd done a. I also co-wrote um, the script to um, No Monsters in Berlin, which is a short film that went on, went to some festivals. Um, was shown at the UN, um, talking about the Syrian refugee experience in Berlin in, back in 2015 and what it's like to be a newcomer and um, what it means to be a Berliner as well and how those how those populations interact. Um, so that was the first thing that I wrote that was a screenplay. And I really enjoyed the process. I've since worked with my co-writer on that to develop it into a pilot. Um, and then I'd met Marlo online in a writer's group and uh, he and I just hit it off right away. And uh, we can talk more about 
how we got into this project um, later on, but that's sort of my my journey here. Yeah, Marla, you want, yeah, Marla, if you want to tell your story as well, kind of like catch us up to the same point. I'll catch up to the point. I don't have my story isn't that long. I'm kind of just <laughs> I've kind of just gotten started. A lot of it is is just the things that I want to do really. Um, but yeah, I guess I've been writing since I was able to write. I've been writing stories. Um, I've always wanted to do that, so I'm on the right track, I think. Um, yeah, I grew up in Denmark, and I when I was 15, I won a writing competition, so I got to work on a workshop with a Danish publishing house called Rosinante. Um, so that was kind of a, a first sense that I might be quite good at it because um, it was a competition for adults that I accidentally won because I didn't know it was for adults. So that was very fun and that was good for my ego. It's always good to be good to your ego really early on. And yeah, and then um, I studied in London at Guildhall School of Music, uh, Music and Drama. There was a sort of experimental course called Performance and Creative Enterprise, which was a whole host of different artistic um, performance arts, music, writing, filmmaking, just anything that people brought into the space. So I got to do a whole lot of different art forms. And then after that, actually I think during that was when we met, wasn't it, Kate? I think it was during that because then COVID happened and we were all online. And then Kate and I met online in this writing group and then we started writing this. Um, yeah, and then after that, sort of during this bit that we can talk a little bit more about in a second um i got into doing a project which is about interviewing trans masculine people about football so i've done 20 interviews um and then i did an event around it and i'm literally right now editing the the different interviews into sort of a long form version that is going up in an archive um so i've been sort of circling the writing that i really want to do but i've been managing to do a lot of that with Kate um, and then I'm also currently writing two horror movies which I guess we can talk a little bit about later on but yeah so like I said it's a bit shorter but that's where we are. Is, are the 20 interviews uh, is that going to be a documentary or like a print writing or what? what's the final going to be? At the moment so at the moment the, the original final Thing that I wanted it to be was this event which uh, was centered around the fact that there's a quite a toxic environment around trans people in sport generally both in the UK and in America but this was very UK based um, and I wanted to open up the door to have trans people talk about their own experiences and because I'm trans masculine and I've played football in the past it kind of all came together around that theme and then that event at the end but now that they're going up in an archive, I'm looking to see both in terms of whether they can present it, uh, be presented at other exhibitions or whether I'm going to do a documentary about some of the people that I've interviewed because the first person that I interviewed was back in October of 2022. And at the time, he was kind of lamenting the fact that there is no space for trans men in, in inclusive spaces as well because a lot of inclusive spaces are not uh, you know they are everybody except for men and he's like i'm a man i'm trans i'm a man and since then he has co-created and is co-running a trans and non-binary football team around the place where i live in leeds so there's a lot of very interesting things happening and so i'm considering 
whether to turn that into a sort of wider documentary about the spaces that trans people build around sports. But mm -hmm. it's up in the air a little bit right now. Currently, they're just being archived, and that is a very big job. <laughs> okay. So before we get to your latest project, let's talk about meeting a little bit more online. Uh, typically, partners I've talked to, they had similar tastes, to say the very least. Was there any other like intangibles that like, oh, this I really want to write with this other person? Like, What comes to mind for this partnership to work? So Marlo's just um, one of the most thoughtful people I've met and writes. I think I think there's a lot of ways in which we were similar. And um, Marlo, please keep me honest um, if I am misrepresenting you mm -hmm. in any of this. Um, but I think that um, we both have fairly esoteric interests, but then we kind of... Um, come into pop culture and interact with it um through like neurodiverse and kind of queer um lenses i would yeah. say and and we're looking kind of almost at tropes and seeing like what is the larger story we can tell here how can we take this trope and play with it um how can we deepen the human connection here um and in particular in particular in this project um offsiders which is um sort of a a trans answer to she's the man um in terms of um gender bending soccer uh um we wanted to have it be really satisfying in a tropey way but go go a little deeper um and and into the queer experience from that so we were looking to build something really joyful which i think is is another thing that marlo and i both share is that that connection to um hilarity and and playfulness i would say I think also what you were saying much, much better and halfway through, I was like, what you're trying to say is that we're both massive nerds. <laughs> we're both really big nerds and we really love a lot of, uh, a lot of pop culture spaces is where mm -hmm. we, where we, a lot, well, kind of where we found each other as well. Yeah. Um, I also just wanted to mention, actually, just speaking of the fact that I had this project about trans mass people in football and I had this event. We actually screened She's the Man at that event. So it was me and a bunch of trans guys and trans mass people all of us being like, yes, that's right. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think I think we were right when we I I mean, I know that we were right when we identified it as this uh interesting trashy film that is based in I mean, it's based in Shakespeare, first and foremost. Um, so it's based and it's based in these cross-dressing tropes that we both found really interesting. And there's a whole filmic history of that. And so yeah, we both we're both really nerdy about analyzing pop culture in this way and sort of pulling it apart and figuring out where do these things actually come from. Um, so yeah, this is a very self-aware film, I think. <laughs> Did you notice any in this partnership or previous partnerships? So I write some uh, screenplays myself. I write some horror movies specifically with a partner. And I kind of noticed that maybe I'm better at plot where he's better at dialogue. Did you, anything like that that kind of came to the surface as you were working together? I have other partnerships where I could more clearly delineate. Marla, you tell me, but I just feel like 
Sometimes I feel mind melded. I'm like, I don't know where that came I don't remember. There are like a couple of parts of the script that I can very clearly remember. That was me or that was you. Yeah. But yeah, that's true. Yeah. But the majority of it, I couldn't say who was me yeah. and who was you. Um, so I don't, I think you, but, but we were talking about this actually earlier today, um, is that when we're writing together, just because when you're, I don't know if you have this as well, Brooke, but when you're working with a partner, you can sort of yes and each other and you can keep each other grounded in the sort of writing process. And when you're writing alone, quite often you kind of have to force yourself to, to be like, I'm not getting distracted. I'm not going to go back and start editing something while I, I'm still writing the first draft. And so I have this sense that Kate is the more structured of us, but I think that might also just be because when we're working together, we feel more structured. I don't want to put that on you though, Kate. I don't know if, if you are like, yes, I am so structured. <laughs> I think I think it's just that sometimes I'm I'm thinking of it from a project management point of view. And I also think like I I work full time and I have a four-year-old, so my writing time is incredibly constrained. So I think sometimes I'm just like, all right, what are we gonna do now? Like, let's do this one thing. And and um so so I would say that is possibly there. But yeah, as we were as we were saying earlier, like sometimes it's just it there's for me there's an ease in in when the partnership is good in relaxing into the partnership and letting it because because it's the difference between completely making something up all on your own where sometimes you're inspired by the gods but sometimes it's just you in the blank page right and versus when you're there with a friend it's like like being little kids and playing dress up we were having, like, fun. We were having yeah. so much fun it was yeah. barely a time when we were writing where it felt like we were working. I know. Even when we had to go and do horrible things, like cut it all down because it was like 8 million pages. It was, <laughs> it was long in its first edition. Yeah. I was going to say, we just we kept taking out things and going, this is for the TV series. This is for the TV series. Yeah. We have a document that's just full of really cool things. We were like, who knows? It's there. It's good stuff. But we couldn't have it in this version. But, you know could be in another another future sequel tv version type thing that happens after the two notes to be a little more tactical what what was the logistics of the process is it just like we meet on zoom these certain days you go off and write alone just walk me walk me through like a week of or a day of working together it was during covid first and foremost yeah so we had technically i mean you had full-time work and i had full-time studies but we didn't we weren't going anywhere yeah so in a sense it was easier to to organize than it would have been either before or after um so that was the first thing and then yeah we just we just we set out days and times because there's a usually i think a five hour time difference between yeah. us and then there was daylight savings which made it anyway that's we're both great at time especially me and um yeah, so we we meet on Google Meet or Zoom, and uh, then we had it. We have a shared writing software, so if anyone's typing, the other person can see it. And yeah, and then we just we just wrote. We just we just we just yes handed each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and also, I think there were like a couple scenes where you were like, oh, yeah. oh let's just do this, or like, oh, I'm going to take this and and take a stab yeah. at this, and we'll come back. They, 
there was, I remember really clearly you writing the scene with Max and CK because I felt like yeah that was what I was thinking about yeah so there's there's a scene in which a in which the main character has not yet figured out that he is trans and he meets somebody who is trans but in the closet and and who sort of comes out to him at that point and it's quite a I, I just I, I think that was maybe the one scene that I felt like I had a bit of um I wanted to have a bit of ownership of how that, that was. Um because it's quite a it's quite a an intense moment. And also something I mean, something with film anyway, obviously, is that any any experience is way more complicated in real life than you can manage to put it in a film. So you have mm. to condense certain things and you know the idea of even coming out coming out doesn't happen once in your life coming out happens all the time in many places and sometimes you don't even come out people just know or they don't know and you've decided to just not come out to them so it's 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 this idea that we're taking something that's quite complicated and in this particular scene it's it's pushing a lot it's doing a lot of work basically um mm. in terms of what happens in real life and so i felt like i wanted to i just wanted to be yeah i had a bit of ownership about that as an experience with transness specifically. What are, what are some of your thoughts? So as a story as, as specific as this one is, because I think a problem with some of us today is there's too much global appeal as opposed to niching it down for a specific audience. But how, how did you guys think about the, the combination of those two things? And are you, do you want universal appeal or do you want it to be specific? I mean, I think honestly, you just want it to be as truthful as it can be, but tell me some of your thoughts on this. Can I go first? Yeah, okay. please. Um, okay. We did, we did, because obviously when you're trying to uh, market it, you do want to talk about the relative universal appeal that it has, but it's also the people who are going to watch it, they're going to watch a movie that's about, a trans kid and a trans kid in a space with other trans characters and other queer characters and so in that sense i think it's important to not water that down in order to be polite and generalized so that people can be gently introduced to it sometimes i understand that there are cases in which it's good to sort of gently introduce people to things but i care very much about telling stories for the trans community and for in this case trans kids and maybe parents of trans kids so they're kind of the the main target audience for this film. Um, mm. We did we did I think a couple of times we had moments where we were like, oh, but this is not the experience for everyone. And it was like, well, you can't write the experience for everyone because the experience for everyone doesn't exist. This is an experience yeah. for this one character that is in some ways loosely based on things that I've experienced or friends that I have experienced. So it's not it's not an inauthentic you know it can't be an inauthentic story because it comes from within the community. But I think that. Um, to really resist that attempt to be too generalized in order to not make anybody unhappy or in order to appeal to everybody. Um, yeah, I, I think I think that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I think that's right. And I think we also went into it like with a really clear goal in terms of tone because we knew who it was for. And we wanted to make something that was unabashedly silly and fun for a trans audience because most representation in media of trans stories first of all are often written by cisgender people and 
often include suffering as a very big component of the trans experience. And I think that's really dangerous, especially for teenagers to be like, hey, so here's all the possibilities of things that can happen to you. And then just list some of the biggest traumas. Whereas for cisgender kids, you get movies like She's the Man, where people are just idiots and and everything's very fun and 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 delightful in, in that way. And so we wanted, we really wanted to make a movie that was going to have moments of seriousness and and moments of of that deeper truth, but also had permission to be a comedy and be a rom com and and be that fairy tale that that straight cis kids get all the time, basically. Yeah, if yeah, they want, to. they have choices. Tell me about the the comedy aspects of it. Like, how did you? that part is that more over the zoom calls like do you who decides what's funny you both kind of agree it's funny tell me about some of those aspects yeah i think we ever disagreed that something wasn't i don't think we ever went that's funny. i don't think that's very funny i think our sense of humor is very similar and also yeah. a lot of it came specifically out of the type of characters that were there because a lot of it is it's also a lot of the comedy is also kind of grounded in queerness so for example there's one character who I'm thinking about Liam. There's I'm one character thinking about Liam. <laughs> There's one character who, you know, he's he's kind of a, a flamboyant um, a queer character. We, I don't think we ever specify in what way he's queer because we didn't want to. We we didn't want to label every single character within the, yeah. within because a lot of the time, especially when you're a teenager, that thing is vague and fluid, and you're going in a lot of directions. But yeah, he's a very flamboyant queer character, so and he really enjoys that. Um, and so so he gets a lot of lines around sort of i guess i guess exaggerated mannerisms and exaggerated ways of speaking and joking with the sort of slightly more serious uh main character we had another character where kind of the joke is that he's this quite macho taciturn type yeah. and slight spoiler there is a scene where he speaks and it's i think it i think one of my favorite moments in the film i can't I'm not going to say what happens, but it's one of my favorite moments in the film. Um, so it's all very based in the type of characters that they are. Um, yeah. And especially, I think, how we sometimes more overtly and sometimes more subtly uh, wrote them as queer teenagers. And and I think then just like um, Tommy and Hunter come to mind too, two of our, two of our villain characters who are just so dumb and we had so much fun making them just be really confused there's a there's also like a lot of like mistaken identity and and yeah. people not understanding the main characters deal because they they have a sense that this person is hiding something but they don't know what and a lot of the comedy comes out of uh the main characters attempt to to hide what their gender is or their gender identity is and and being a kind of fish out of water on this team in the beginning um but yeah no there's lots of there's lots of goofiness yeah. <laughs> it's, very, it's very we were we were somewhat inspired by kind of these 80s teen movies yeah as well. i think we had we had a good we had a good sort of because again the cross-dressing genre is is i mean it's pre-shakespeare but it's kind of codified by shakespeare it's very funny in shakespeare as well if you're a fan of shakespeare um and and then that kind of came back in the movies over and over again over the years and quite often i mean it's also been used for things like serial killers but when it's for a farce it's always there for comedy 
Yeah. And so there's this great tradition of comedic cross-dressing um, as a genre. And then the thing that we that we put into that is, well, this is a trans genre. This is this is this is transgender. The people who are cross-dressing are inhabiting different gender roles. Whether or not the movie then at the end, which usually it does, has them go back and be like, oh, I'm actually a girl, or I'm actually a man, or whatever. Um um, I tend to be like, you know what? That's just society that's forcing them. The fast was still like there, and they were still inhabiting this role. Sorry, I made that a bit less comedic at the end. I started talking about <laughs> no, that. No, it's good. Well, tell me about the success of. Um, so, you, uh, Marla, you had won a contest before, but ISA is a is a big deal. So, tell me kind of about winning, and then what what's that led to for you guys? Yeah. So we. Full disclosure, we entered kind of on a whim. Um, so we were entering all of these competitions. Um, we were doing quite well. We were finalists um, for Sundance and finalists for um, Big Apple Film Festival. Um, and I sort of felt like, oh, we're progressing. Like, this is great definitely putting all our eggs in these baskets um we didn't we didn't end up actually winning either of those but um and marla was like well what about this competition and i'm like sure it was i think we were quite close to the deadline we were very we were i think two days before the two deadline. days out and i'm like why and, not had, yeah, had not had not done, done research yeah, um, we hadn't done research on ISA, but we had already, obviously, because it was via Film Freeway, we already done these different bits that you have to submit. So, and we were, I think we were a little bit, we were a little bit cocky, we were a little bit sort of flying high, we were a bit sort of, oh yeah, let's just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we were so delighted when we were selected and then getting the opportunity to meet with these different producers and and um agents and managers as well and just getting that that having those conversations um about their world because these are people so deeply steeped in the filmmaking world with so much experience and getting their perspective also even on our pitch and then getting feedback from um Shana and Felicity and and everyone at ISA about about it as well was just it was like winning the lottery, really. Um, it was such a gift for us, and we were so grateful. And um, we had this one meeting with JD, um, who's the who's um, producing our film now. And it was this sort of thing where we went into it just pretty open minded. Like, seems like she's done a bunch of stuff. I don't know if we're a great fit for her, but it'll just be nice to have the convo. And of all the people we met, and everyone was very helpful, she was the most focused and like immediately helpful. She's like, here are the companies you should approach. Actually, do you mind if I approach them for you? And we were like, no, we do not <laughs> mind, madam. <laughs> um, and so that was fantastic. And then we started, we started talking more with her. Um, and she was the one um, who originally made the introduction to Megan Rapino and Sue Bird's production company together. Um, and 
at first they were sort of like, well, we don't know how you exactly fit into our mission um, of telling these sort of more inclusive stories in sports. And after we met with them and they had a chance to read our script, they were like, oh, no, we should we should partner on this. Um, and that was phenomenal. And we were cracking the champagne and then the writer strike happened. So that's been a little bit, a little bit how things have been going right now for us. So we've just been on pause for a bit with that project um, till we're in a place where we can actually start to try to get talent attached and, and packaged. And we did, we got to, we were, we were, we were thinking about, I think directors was when, was when mm-hmm. this happened. And then, so we're at a place where we're kind of like, oh yeah, as soon as all of the writers and the actors get everything that they want and deserve, <laughs> uh, then, then we're kind of ready to, we're kind of ready to go pretty much. Yeah. Um, so it's really just, we're just waiting basically. Um, I think that's most of what, I mean, especially I can do from, from Europe for the writer's strike. <laughs> is just wait basically that's my contribution so you i mean some of this is the dream that people are are looking for right is there anything you wish you had done differently or any question they asked you that kind of threw you off a little bit i know felicity kind of prepared you as much as possible anything within those producer meetings that kind of surprised you you want to go can i go yeah i have i have something um i think this was a meeting with a manager and he was great. Um, He was really lovely. And one of the things he was like, it's like, great. So what other projects do you have? And we're like, what do you mean? We have a script. (laughs) It is done. We have done the thing. Um, And he was like, no, no, this is not how that works. Um, and he really coached us that it it's really, really important to be able to be like, hey, and also this and also these things. So one of the things that Marlo and I have been working on both independently in our own writing that's not collaborating, at least right now, um, and also together is being in various stages of development with several projects right now so that we can say, hey, like Marlo can be like, hey, I have two horror scripts to pitch you right now. And I can be like, hey, I have a short about women returning to the workforce having had a kid. And um, and we've got a queer sci-fi uh, space space opera, if you'd like it as well. We also have a biopic about, you know, so it's we we have a number of things that we've started working on and they're in various stages of being written at this point. But that was, that was a super big learning for me because I just, it, it never, this is going to sound very naive, but it never occurred to me that somebody would be like, so what else? I just thought it would be like, yes or no on this, on this one thing. Those other things you're saying, does it feel like, is it, is an idea enough? Is a treatment enough? Or does it feel like I need a couple screenplays written? So what I've heard, not just through ISA, but uh, through the Writers Lab, where my other project um, was accepted um, for development, like, I think a year ago, time has become really weird since COVID, but I think it was a year ago, was um, that right now people are most interested in treatments which is really hard for me 
because I think, I think Marlo and I both like, we just like, we can vomit out story and the story is kind of writing itself and unspooling and that's how we find some of it. So we may have to reverse engineer treatments. Um, we're with the specifically with the sci-fi project, we're experimenting with seeing what it's like to write a treatment first and not and not start with the screenplay process. But whew, yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, I think because a lot of the way that is industry standard, this seems this seems really childish, but it's it's more boring than the way that we like to do it. <laughs> I maybe we'll do it, obviously, but yeah, I think we both enjoy. The, we, we enjoy writing screenplays more than we enjoy I mean that's probably true for most people isn't it we enjoy writing screenplays more than we enjoy having to try and pitch the screenplays I mean actually I quite enjoyed pitching it I, yeah. I just think that the very um, structured way that one has to do it in a very specific sort of set of set of ways I think I, I at least again I don't want to put anything on on UK but I often come at things in a very non-linear non non sort of from the top kind of way i often i often build projects like puzzles rather than from the top and then and then and then yeah chronologically towards the end um so yeah that's that's a learning a, le a little bit of a curve yeah we i think you may have figured out from um having had the interesting experience of talking to us for 35 minutes now we we both tend to go off on rambles so <laughs> a lot of our working together was was very much that and oh, that was something very helpful that ISA really helped us uh, kind of narrow down is how are we going to pitch this? Like, and we would write everything out and then we'd rehearse what we'd written. So it didn't sound like somebody reading something off a off a page and would have some energy and like life and, and freshness to it. But we had to we had to make sure that we would hit those points because each of us is as bad as the other at just being like, Ree! Let's talk yeah. about Victorian England. Like we can talk about, we can build connections forever. I think as well uh, another thing. Sorry, just to add on to add on to add on to is the fact that it was just online, and obviously it was going to be online probably anyway because I'm based in Europe, and uh, you know, and America is large, and LA is not next to New York, so you know it's probably going to be online anyway. But it is, it's more fun to try to talk about or to talk about what you've made and, and your art in person it just is hmm. yeah that was great i've got maybe one more bonus question uh maybe just for marlo but kate feel free to jump in if you want i saw this thing the other day i write horror stuff and then more like i guess action drama or something like that i've never really tried comedy but i saw this quote from key of key and peel saying that comedy and horror oh. are the same in his mind yeah, he Sorry. said like they're they're basically the same. Like it's just what's unexpected. Any thoughts on that? I'm just you're curious about that. <laughs> I agree. I literally rewatched Nope the other day. I I I I I think um uh, I know that was key, but I I feel like Jordan Peele yeah. is um, currently the probably my favorite modern day horror film maker right now. Mm. Um, of sort of big, also just because they're big horrors, they're big blockbuster horrors that aren't sequels they're not that and they look gorgeous and they have these wonderful thematic layers to them and they're just a little bit silly as well because that's part of the, the 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 tension between comedy and horror um i think the funny thing is that actually um a lot of what i write is 
really very, very serious. And also, in a way, the horror that I write is very, very serious because I'm obviously I'm writing horror as well, as, as we said. Um, but I think, yeah, I think he's kind of been inspiring me to to challenge myself in how it is that I write horror. And also, because I think, um, sorry, this is going to go off on a ramble if I'm not careful. But a lot of the horror that I actually love is B-movies. It's mm. it's a schlocky, experimental, silly horror, especially from the sort of 70s and 80s, when a lot of it felt like people were just kind of figuring out what you could even do and a lot of it was very silly a lot of it was with actors who couldn't act and and with a script that was probably halfway ad-libbed or what have you and what came out of it were these beautiful unexpected ridiculous films that had you know that that just i don't know there's something really alive about those films and about the experimentation of horror and i think um that is something that i i really wanted to play with as well um hmm. i'm going a little bit outside of the comedy space at the moment um but I, I think that's something that actually in a way i almost reverse engineered for the film that we were writing because again i don't actually come to comedy naturally um so it was kind of i, I don't come to comedy naturally you're looking at me a certain way kate i really don't <laughs> this is literally I, the first time i'm hearing that from you that's so wild. you're so funny <laughs> I don't because I think I don't I don't always I don't always um consciously I don't know recognize what's funny or what have you so in a way I kind of had to very specifically go okay what is it that makes me laugh and a lot of the time you know what what spaces and that's why it worked really well for the film that we were making because it came from queer culture I could be like oh I know this I know this space I know why I think xyz is funny I know why this sort of twist of expectations um would make me laugh i don't trust that other people think it's funny as well it's very nice that kate thinks i'm funny because we're writing this <laughs> other people have read our script they think it's funny too it's not just the script. The script. <laughs> yeah. well, he said it was funny too so i'm just i'm kind of trusting that a little bit because i think again i think um i've watched the key and peel comedy sketches and a lot of them are based in horror the aerobics thing was terrifying in my opinion um and then there's the racist zombies which mm -hmm. again is and which actually just feels like it, it you know that could almost be adapted to a full-length feature in some ways um but you know you know when you watch get out you kind of can see that that link but yeah sorry i just wanted to say that i agree and it's kind of it's made it's definitely challenged how i work told you it was going to be a ramble thanks so much for tuning into the show before you take off i want to give you a free gift I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. If it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.